This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Saver, production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about Limburger cheese. Yes. And you know we love cheese around here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We love talking about it. Uh, and we have done several cheese episodes uh, in the past that you should check out. Mm-hmm. But I really didn't know much about this one. And it was a really fun to learn about. <laughs> oh, oh dude, you don't think you've ever had it? It sounds like I would remember if I'd had it. Um, <laughs> I did go to a cheese event once where, I mean, I mean, spoiler alert, not spoiler alert, a Limburger has a strong smell. A strong um, scent, yeah. I did go to a cheese event once where there was a cheese that they uh, like really prefaced and disclaimed and they're like, people, a lot of people can't handle the smell. And it when they brought it out, it made several people gag. Oh wow! Uh, huh? And I ate it, and it was fine. But I that's the only thing. I'm like, maybe that was it, but I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um. Uh. I I remember my my grandmother. Uh. uh my grandma Gloria used to buy Limburger. I think it was a more mild version. Um. That yeah. Like I mean, like I. Like like I, I ate it as a kid. Like on like as a as a sandwich filling. Um. And I remember i remember it having a strong scent but a mild flavor i i I just don't remember it being that strong or like that Mm -hmm. off-putting but also like i've always been like like i grew up in a household where i was really encouraged and, and allowed to um to eat weird foods from a young age and so like i i never i was never the kid who was like or yeah there was like one year where i was like <laughs> i want a plain hamburger and i'm going to eat the bun and the burger separately um <laughs> uh-huh uh for like a year but but right. right but but other than that like i've never been that kid so um so i had i don't know it's I, I think it's good i have good nice nice good memories of it okay i want to try it I, it's just reading this it 
it was one of those things that kind of tickled me when we just we talk about humanity and how we'll eat things that nature kind of evolved for us not to eat or was like trying to warn us like why are <laughs> you doing something? this yeah 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 it kind of gave me that vibe and it, it really brought joy to my heart that I, like, I gotta smell this <laughs> right you're yeah. like oh that sounds so fascinating like mm-hmm. yeah no no that and that urge like I, I I there's there's a certain um almost like a morbid curiosity I suppose yeah. but where, where, where you're just like oh man that's terrible you try it like yes you want to share it yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's just the experience it is. It is. I'm excited. I'm excited to check it out. Uh, as I said, we have done several past cheese episodes that you can listen to if you have not or re-listen to, I guess. You know, whatever mm-hmm. you want. Yeah. Um, I would also say yogurt because I feel like yogurt uh, is pretty involved in a lot of our cheese. Oh, absolutely. That's a and that's a really good uh, that one and kind of sort of butter um, yeah. uh, are both really good basis of um, uh just the, the the process of like milk coagulation, which features heavily. <laughs> milk coagulation, mm. <laughs> it is delicious. Okay, <laughs> so I guess that brings us to our question. <laughs> I guess it does. Mm-hmm. Limburger cheese. What is it? Well, uh, Limburger is a type of washed rind cow milk cheese that smells real weird and tastes real normal. Um, uh, It's made in uh, small squarish blocks and not usually aged very long. It'll have a a springy soft to a creamy soft texture and a a distinctive red-orange rusty colored exterior that, that smells like the inside of your gym shoes after you just took a walk through a barnyard. Oof. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. But that interior uh, is is creamy, yellowish white, um, maybe laced with some small holes, and just sort of sweet and buttery in flavor. It is often eaten sliced in sandwiches or incorporated in recipes. I guess, however, you want to use a semi soft cheese. Um, it's like a it's like a very mild soft cheddar, like with opinions. Kind of like the texture of like a, of like an American Munster or like a like a Jack cheese or something, just just nice and yeah, but with opinions. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like <laughs> it's like if you're walking around in Dungeons and Dragons and you spot what appears to be a totally normal brick, mm-hmm. but you get closer and you're like, oh no, it's a mimic. <laughs> um, but it's cheese and it's actually delightful. Oh, that sounds fun. I mean, a mimic would be scary, I guess, but uh, in general, I like this vibe of, you know, this cheese has got a lot going on. It's got a lot going on for it. It does. It does. <laughs> and it's it's a little bit surprising. Um, mm-hmm. It's it... <laughs> In a way, I find fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, and, okay, uh, we get to talk about washed rind cheeses. Yay! Um, Yay! But first, but first, Cheese 101. Uh All right. Cheese is a way of preserving milk by getting some of the water out because harmful microbes need water to grow and also of condensing the the nutritious and tasty fats and proteins and stuff, which also happens to make cheese a little bit more portable than like liquid milk. All of these are good things. So you take some milk from a cow in this case and convince that milk to coagulate and push some of the water that's in it out. 
in this case by adding uh, rennet, which is a, a protein that does that. Uh, rennet originally comes from the stomachs of young cows or other milk-producing animals where it helps them digest their mother's milk, but these days it's more likely to be produced in a lab. Anyway, um, the, uh, the water and stuff that has been released is called whey, and the solids are the curds. For Limburger, you collect the curds and squish them into a rectangular mold forming blocks. And at that point, you keep them in a warmer and more humid environment than you generally want to with cheese. Uh, like, like up around 60 Fahrenheit, which is 15.5 Celsius, uh, like up over 90% humidity. Because what you are trying to do here is create a space that first uh, some yeasts and then this very particular bacterium like to hang out in. And that bacterium is Brevibacterium linens, all right? So m most cheeses you want to keep fairly dry. You're usually looking to let the surface dry out and, and let moisture so slowly evaporate out of the cheese. But this is what sets washed rind cheeses apart. You're, you're purposefully keeping the surface moist by frequently, gently washing it down with a solution of brine and maybe with some uh, alcohol like beer. And the warmth plus moisture plus salt is what lets these bacteria thrive. Um, and you'll notice that warmth plus moisture plus salt is also the environment of the inside of your shoe. <laughs> I wasn't particularly noticing that, but... Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, if you're sweating, that's what the inside of your shoe is like. Um, anyway, okay. uh, the, the the yeast, meanwhile, prepare the surface of the cheese by deacidifying it a bit. Um, and also, uh, that, that serves to make it a little bit slimy. Um, uh, the, the yeast colony will die off as the bacteria take hold. Originally, these bacteria would have been added to the surface of the cheese naturally from, from the hands of the workers washing it, because these bacteria do often live on our skin and would have just hitched a ride. Um, these days, you probably add a culture of the bacteria, like on purpose. But uh, yes, so, so the next step in making this cheese is to physically rub down each block daily um, with your brine solution, removing some of the slime as you go, until the surface becomes uh, moist, tacky, and this reddish smear develops. And that's your bee linens colony. And these bacteria will, will start eating the, the fats and proteins on the surface of the cheese, um, only the surface. They, they do need oxygen so they can't dive too far into the body of the cheese. And, and as they go, they'll be excreting stuff like alcohols and flavors. Bacteria poop. Uh, and those flavors include stuff like um, acetic acid, which is vinegar, uh, uh, isovaleric acid, which is basically body odor, um, and uh, caporic acid, which is like barnyard. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, the blocks are then individually wrapped in paper-lined foil and moved into a cooler environment where the bacteria can no longer thrive, but, but the compounds they created on the surface will continue developing and the body of the cheese will set. So. If it's aged for a couple months, Limburger will be kind of soft, springy in texture and fairly mild in scent. Aged another couple months, it starts going soft and spreadable, um, not quite like a brie, but like approaching a brie, and, uh, and a really intense scent will develop. 
The, the interior, though, stays uh, sweet and earthy. Uh, it will start to gain a better hint the longer that it ages. And the blocks will have rounded corners thanks to all of that manhandling. <laughs> Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, One of the traditional ways to serve it is sliced on a cold sandwich made with some kind of dark, flavorful bread, like a a rye or a pumpernickel. Um, Maybe with some uh, some raw shaved onions and some brown mustard on there. Oh, so good. Uh, It's also frequently served with bright jams like raspberry or strawberry or with dark beers or dark coffee. All of these pairings are, are meant to play up the bittersweet flavors and kind of mitigate the strong scent of the cheese. Yeah. Uh, and serving it serving it cool does help. Um, uh, heating Limburger definitely intensifies the scent. Uh, if you're into that sort of thing, you want to let it warm up to room temperature. Generally, it's recommended to let cheeses warm up to room temperature for their best expression of flavor and texture. <laughs> but if you aren't going for that thing, you might want to keep it chilled. Uh, there, There is a story that a deli in Wisconsin, um, which is the place in America where this cheese is made, uh, they, they tried melting a Limburger in, in a microwave once and wound up having to throw out the microwave because, and I quote, everything coming out of it after that tasted like Limburger. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um uh another another tip from from the internet like if you if you're looking to minimize that that odor you can um uh, rinse or or remove the rind once you get the cheese home but I feel like at that point like what are you like what are you doing? Come on, like lean into it. Mm-hmm. Right? Right? Yes. Just yes. buy Colby Jack if you want to do that like <laughs> Ooh, sounds like a challenge now. Um <laughs> Again, I I just love this whole thing where it's like, oh, the smell is so strong. And it's, for a lot of people, perhaps off-putting or bad. Let's eat it. Let's do uh, it. <laughs> let's yeah. Do it. The sandwich does sound really good to me. Uh, when I was doing the research, I was like, ooh, okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, and what about the nutrition? Uh, cheese is a calorically dense food. Uh, yeah, watch your, watch your portion sizes. Um, uh, yeah. It does. It does have some good, you know, proteins and fats in there. So it'll it'll help keep you going. To you know, I eat a vegetable, drink a water. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have some numbers for you. A couple, a couple. Um, so as of 2016, the one Limburger factory in the United States was producing about 600,000 pounds a year. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, however, in in one survey. Um, it was a relatively small survey. I think it was only like 750 people, but it was, but it was a pretty good, pretty good cohort. Um, it was taken in the Northeast United States circa 2019. <laughs> only 14% of respondents said that they enjoyed washed rind cheeses like Limburger. Wow. Huh. Okay. Well, I wonder, hmm, I wonder if it's that they've never had it or that the haven't had it well, right? Sure, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Questions. We need and, more research. And like, and like, you know, just, just, just what you're culturally used to in different areas. Yeah. I wonder if you like went to parts of Germany or Belgium and asked them, they would be like, "Oh yeah, heck yeah, we do that every day." Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Well, listeners, let us know. Oh yeah. Yes. Uh, oh. But 
in the meantime, we do have some history for you. We do, and we are going to get into that as soon as we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So, yes, you can see our past cheese episodes and our yogurt episode for more about cheeses, more about this conversation. I was also thinking about uh, way back, in the way, way back when we were doing YouTube videos, um, Kristen Conger of Unladylike and uh, formerly Stuff I Never Told You and Ben Bolin of Stuff They Don't Want You to Know, um, tons of other things. Um, yeah. There was a brief, there was a short-lived food stuff uh YouTube series, and there's a very funny, there's one about cheese, and there's kind of a funny, the origin of cheese. Oh, yeah. Aside, where you get it's to see Ben in a cheese hat, <laughs> <laughs> like in black and white. It's pretty good. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but yes, okay, so basically cheese originated in different forms all over 
largely by accident, and then was refined in specific regions based on ingredients, taste, cultures, and conditions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the sources I, I found about this put the origination of Limburger cheese in the Middle Ages in the region that is now Belgium, Germany, and the Netherlands, and often specifically the Limburg region of Belgium, where Trappist monks were some of the early producers of washed rind cheeses. Yeah, uh, these may have been being produced by like the 1200s or so. Yes, and of course there is a specific story. (laughs) I couldn't verify, but there is a specific story Mm -hmm. about washing down cheese rinds. And it goes that a monk was on cheese duty during the Middle Ages and he saw this mold growing on the cheese and he scrubbed down the cheese with a mixture of brine and alcohol. A couple of days passed and the mold was back. No, no. Yes, so the monk did it again. Uh, The process resulted in a stinky and sticky cheese, um, which was not at all what they were going for. Hmm. Um, But of course, somebody tried it. Of course, somebody (laughs) did. Um, And it had this kind of meaty flavor. So the monks started using it as a meat replacement during times of fasting. That's how the story goes. Like I said, I couldn't really verify it. But yeah, yeah. (laughs) By the 19th century, this process was called putrefactive fermentation, <laughs> which I adore. <laughs> oh, yeah. Woo! <laughs> That's mm-hmm. the name of something. I mean, oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, that paints a picture. It does. It does. Um, the timeline is a bit foggy with the cheese, uh, but it didn't take long for cheeses like this to become popular in Europe. Yeah, I I couldn't find an authoritative source, but what I think happened is this. Uh, Okay, so this this corner of Europe that we're talking about is like smack on the border of what's now Belgium, Germany, and the Netherlands. And historically, it's been called uh, Heva, uh, for named after a town there, and it was also part of the Roman Duchy of Limburg. And so these monks in the region were creating and refining these washed rind cheeses. In the area, the product became known as a uh, heva, but as the cheese moved around, it was sometimes called Limburger cheese uh, or, or cheese from Limburg. A cheese called heva is, is still produced in the area. Like it has a PDO, a protected designation of origin, like a set of rules about what can be called heva and how it can be made to, to ensure quality and tradition are upheld. But in other areas, similar cheeses became known as Limburger. Um, and, and the term Limburger cheese appears in print in English by 1817. Uh, with European colonists making their way to America and improvements that came with the Industrial Revolution, um, cheesemakers in the U.S. started producing Limburger in the 19th century. Records show it was first produced here in 1867, if not earlier, but around that time. Mm-hmm. Um And yes, uh, Wisconsin has long been the home for a lot of this. At one point, Monroe, Wisconsin alone hosted over 100 factories making Limburger and other cheeses. Cheesemaking really got going in the area in the 1840s, and Swiss immigrants who settled there bought their cheeses and taste with them. Uh, Rudolf Bankertz specifically gets credit for being the first to make Limburger in Wisconsin in the cellar of his home. 
who knows, but that's the popular hmm. story that gets told. Um, within a couple of decades, over 25 cheesemakers were producing Limburger in the area, and over 100 companies were producing it by 1930. Hmm. I read uh, it was a practical cheese during harsh winters like those in Wisconsin, um, and people ate it all kinds of ways, on toast, on sandwiches, and as an accompaniment to beer, um, it was affordable and everywhere. Uh-huh. Yeah. In 1885, five Wisconsin dairy farmers came together to form the Chalet Cheese Cooperative, um, though that name wasn't adopted until 1947. That trips me up all the time. Um, but anyway. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> over time, demand for Limburger grew and the cooperative pushed to meet it. As of 1926, Monroe accounted for 98 percent of Wisconsin's Limburger. Hmm. Um, Seven million pounds was being produced in Wisconsin by 1936. And I love this. There was a local train line that was established. And it was called the Milwaukee 508, but it was nicknamed the Limburger Special (laughs) um, because it was specifically for transporting Limburger. Um, And earlier in the 1920s, the Kraft Brothers, and yes, those Kraft Brothers, joined up with Chile Cheese to distribute Limburger, and that fueled even more growth. Yeah, uh, skipping ahead to 1947, Kraft and Chalet built a Limburger plant in Monroe, like 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 all like all new and shiny and modern, uh, an expanded version of which is still where Chalet produces th- their product today. There's a story that at some point in the plant's history, uh, Kraft management uh, wanted to uh, replace the pine boards that were that were being used to store Limburger while it was curing with, with something more sanitary. Um, so they took them out, replaced them with something. The resulting batches of cheese were ruined. Oh. Uh, but not all was lost. They had not thrown away the old boards yet. And so once they were restored, they were back in business. Um, <laughs> supposedly, those same boards are in use today with the culture first developed in 1911. Fascinating. Love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> During the 70s, Chalet was turning an annual 2 million pounds of Limburger. Ooh. Yeah. But things have not always been great for Limburger cheese (laughs) in Wisconsin. In 1885, a Monroe-based politician described the Limburger-producing plants in the area as, quote, a premeditated outrage upon the organs of smell, (laughs) which we have to admit is a pretty solid slam. Yeah. (laughs) Whether we agree or not, that's... Uh Pretty good. Um, Mark Twain called the odor, quote, most evil uh, around the same time. <laughs> yeah, uh, there was a there was a joke printed in 1899. Um, uh, some frauds a few years ago started a Limburger cheese factory down in Keyport, New Jersey, but the imposition was soon exposed. A man could come within 300 yards of the spurious article without being knocked down. <laughs> Love it. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> And yeah, according to one story I read, a doctor in Kentucky said that the cheese was the same as, quote, animal life and that it was, quote, unwholesome and full of microbes. And apparently this got it banned in Kentucky in 1902. Something I read made it sound like it was more of a train, like the train just smelled so badly and it did. The smell got into other things. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. 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 Um, A local group of Germans protested this this ban. Um, related, another story goes that an Iowan post office worker who was overwhelmed by the smell of a Limburger package they were delivering went to the postmaster, 
who then went on to ban shipping and delivering of this cheese for, quote, objectionable smells. Um, yeah, yeah. And the odor was primarily blamed, but there was an air, certainly an air of um, skepticism and racism against arriving immigrants and their foods, um, sure. the foods they bought with them. In the 1940s, American companies started coming out hard against germs and smell. Like I read a, again, if we were a different podcast, I was like, oh, I want to learn more about this, but kind of like being really clean, being sanitized, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Uh, Limburger was a casualty of that, and the cheese saw a pretty steady decline. By the 1980s, there was only one plant producing Limburger left in Wisconsin, the Chalet Cheese Cooperative. Um, They managed to make it through by making other cheeses and cornering the U.S. Limburger market. Yeah, um, though, right, their production would never would never be the same as it was in their heyday. uh, And Kraft ended their distribution uh, deal in 1995. Yeah. Um, however, it sounds like Monroe, from what I've Monroe, read, Wisconsin. Yeah. Yes, was very, very. They they have embraced this cheese. They have mm-hmm. gone on and been like, no, Limburger is part of <laughs> part of us. Oh. Um, from a Culture Cheese Mag article, Limburger, a name steeped in memory and meaning, a word that elicits a visceral response. Sitting incognito at the far end of the bar, I watch the drama unfold. Three women visiting from Milwaukee dare one another to try the famous menu item. Thick pieces of Limburger cheese and raw red onion between slices of rye bread. The bravest one volunteers. <laughs> she pinches her nose shut in preparation. Her friends look on, eyes wide with cringe and curiosity. Surely they've heard the stories. The rumors of wedding pranksters who smear Limburger cheese atop a honeymoon car's engine, sending an assaulting aroma through the vehicle as the newlyweds drive away. <laughs> Maybe they read the invalid story by Mark Twain, in which two men mistake a box of Limburger for a decaying corpse. Huh. Perhaps they remember seeing the Three Stooges faint over a whiff of the cheese. Or they watched Charlie Chaplin toss it into enemy trenches in shoulder arms. It stink compelling surrender. Whatever they've heard, Limburger's reputation precedes it. The brave tourist closes her eyes and takes a bite. <sighs> Beautiful. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> Again, kind of going back to this human nature. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and, and Limburger was, I, I didn't like write out all the cultural notes because that one, because that quote encompassed a bunch of them. But there are, I think Limburger was really used as like the stinky cheese in American pop culture very, very heavily in like the middle of the 1900s. Like it shows mm-hmm. up in Looney Tunes and stuff like that. Um Oh, yeah. All over the place. (laughs) Uh, But um, about that smell. Yes. uh, Okay. And and I want to preface this this history note with um, with the fact that originally Annie had put a note about about this. I think just as just as a holder uh, mm-hmm. under the nutrition section, mm-hmm. and and she put in the link to to one of these stories about it, and 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 just wrote, I don't know. <laughs> yes, I know. Sometimes I have like the worst co-host because I'm like, Lord, you deal with this. Oh yeah, no, no. I, I always I always <laughs> look at that and I go, Yes, I shall step in. 
I've got this one. Don't worry. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay. So, so in 2006, a team of researchers published their findings that the female mosquitoes that transmit malaria are attracted to the stinky feet odor that's created by the bacteria B. linens. Makes sense. I mean, it's a bacteria that lives on our skin. Mosquitoes want to find our skin so that they can suck our blood. So, you know, it makes sense that they would be attracted to it. And also makes me wonder about vampires. Mm-hmm. I had the same thought. And cool. of course, you would wonder about vampires. <laughs> mm-hmm. Don't think we don't see you. <laughs> we aren't mirrors. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, all right. So, so anyway, <laughs> research. Research into using uh, this, this scent to, to create mosquito traps in malaria-infested areas uh, was suggested by this research and went on to be funded by the Gates Foundation. Um, and the team won an ignoble prize for their work that year. Wow. Stinky, stinky odors <laughs> changing the world. <laughs> love it. Love it, love so it, love great. it. Thank you for clarifying that for me. Lauren. Yeah, anytime. <laughs> it did not go under the nutrition section, but. Yeah, yeah that, fair enough, fair enough. I was just kind of like, oh boy. <laughs> I don't know what this means. I need Lauren to help. Totally and you did. <laughs> uh, anytime. Mm -hmm. well, I, I feel like you, the, the. Stinky odor or odors in general. I'm like, yeah, Lauren will talk about this. Yeah, we need like a bacterial odor signal that you can just like, like yeah. put up. And yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. Well, <laughs> I have very much enjoyed learning about this, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> oh, yeah, me too. Me too. What fun. Um, and yeah, we would love to hear from any of you who have personal experience. Yes, yes, for sure. Uh, but we have heard from some listeners already, uh, and we will share their messages after we get back from one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressings, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, 
a military-trained seduction spy, reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with Snorrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrr
spreads. Mm-hmm. But I bet dipping yeah. that in hot chocolate would be great. Mm-hmm. Um, and Melita was also here using a, a, a different a different spelling. Um, so it might be a, like like panoton. Mm-hmm. Yes, in Spanish, but um, but yeah. Yes, and I do love, uh, as you know, we love these strong opinions about foods yeah. and, and brands. And I love, the, you have a line in here where it's like, held on to a Dinafrio for a year. Yeah. Like, it's just, that's it. That's, that's what it. it. That's is. what it is. <laughs> I love that. Beautiful. Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I want to form Panettone opinions. Okay. Yes. All right. More work is to be done. Um, yes. uh, uh Paul wrote, I just finished listening to your last listener mail. Uh, This is in response to the ask about Scandinavian cream wafer cookies. They sound like, um, I could not found a pronunciation for this, um, Pariser wafers? Sure, let's go with that. Um, (laughs) He continues, attached is my family's recipe for them. Uh, This isn't a long passed down recipe, but likely came from a newspaper or magazine decades ago or from a friend of the family and tweaked by my dad. Uh, You need to work in small batches, and even then it's tricky to work fast enough because the dough is mainly just butter, uh, dropping the temp in the house. And if you can have a cold counter to work on, it can help, but it's still challenging. You may also be tempted to make them bigger since it's more of a good thing. This makes the cookies too big to be structurally sound, and if they do hold up, it's too rich. You need a small break between small cookies as you're just eating butter and sugar. (laughs) If you have ever been tempted to eat the butter-sugar mix when creaming them together for other recipes, you'll understand. I definitely do that all the time. Yes. (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) Delicious. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Um, Okay, so the recipe goes as follows. Um, One cup soft butter. A third cup of cream, 35% butterfat, and two cups sifted gold metal flour. Mix well the butter, cream, and flour. Chill. Heat your oven to 375. Roll out dough one-eighth of an inch thick on a floured board. Cut rounds out with a a one-and-a-half-inch cutter. Uh, Roll only a third of the dough at a time. Uh, Keep the rest refrigerated. Transfer rounds to waxed paper heavily covered with granulated sugar. Turn each round so that both sides are coated with sugar. Place on an ungreased baking sheet. Prick with a fork about four times and then bake seven to nine minutes. Cool and put two cookies together with filling. Uh, Makes about five dozen double cookies. Uh, And then the filling is as follows. Uh, You blend a quarter cup soft butter, three-fourths of a cup of sifted confectioner sugar, an egg yolk, a teaspoon of vanilla, and uh, and tint half of it pink and half of it green. Aww. Oh my gosh! Wow, that is that is a recipe. Those 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 would just melt. Yes, and I love one of my very favorite things about reading recipes, which is something I sometimes just do for fun, even if I'm not going to make something. Oh yeah, oh same. (laughs) Um, Is when terms like constructually sound are used, like these engineering (laughs) terms. I enjoy that so much. Yeah, Um, Yeah, and just the specificity here is great. And also, as we've said a million times, we love so much. We had a listener write in, requested some aid about this recipe. What what could these cookies be? And Paul answered the call. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and the and the spelling on that, in case I butchered the pronunciation, is um, P A R I S E R W A F I E R S. Yeah. So yeah. that's if you're trying to Google it, 
I don't know, slow slow my voice down to 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 one <laughs> half speed and type that in. Um, or, or or just or just Google like Swedish cream cream wafers and that'll probably come up. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm I'm very excited to hear to hear more about this. If this is the correct thing, have we gotten to the bottom of it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Oh, and they do sound so good. I'm like, that sounds so finicky. I yes. I dislike cutting. I, I dislike cutting out cookies, and mm-hmm. I also dislike. I, I mean, like, I'll I'll do it for special occasions, but working right. with any dough that that's that's that finicky because it's so much butter is always like, oh, what am I doing with my life? Yeah. Oh, but it's so good. But it sounds so good. It yeah. does. Well, we'll see, Lauren. Maybe the feast continue get bigger and bigger. Our dreams are getting <laughs> huge. Um, <laughs> I'm very excited to see what happens when we finally do this. Um, hmm. But I'm also excited to always hear from you listeners. Yes. Um, Thanks to both of these listeners for writing. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We are also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod. And we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks as always to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening. And we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is home to a thriving culinary scene based on products and traditions from the native Taino, African, and Spanish peoples that have influenced it. When you go, there are a host of restaurants, bars, breweries, distilleries, farms, and coffee houses to dig into, from five-star experiences to local favorites. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.